reason I asked you guys to start just with uh, some time in what we would call prophetic prayer. It's, it's essentially where you allow God the opportunity to speak through you to another person about where he's leading them, their path. And, and with that, uh, I want to chat today just a little bit about Joseph, Joseph's life in Genesis and the story there because it's remarkable, it's biblical, and it, there's a big chunk of uh, Israel's history that's spent talking about Joseph's life. And if it weren't something significant and important and valuable and worth spending some time examining, they probably would have summed his life in one or two sentences, and they didn't. So how many of you guys are familiar with Joseph's story? It's pretty well known, yeah? Everybody? Come on. Two, four, six people. Okay, you guys have read the book of Genesis. Good. Uh, So Joseph's story, you guys know, he comes along. He's the, the last one. He's the favorite son. Yeah, and you know all the older siblings are like ah, babies. Um, so he's the he's the father's favorite. Comes along, and uh, Genesis thirty-seven is where we're going to start. It begins talking about his dreams. So he's seventeen years old. That's important. Just remember, seventeen is kind of the starting point for his story as told in Scripture. So he's 17 years old. He has a couple of dreams about these great things that he's going to do and become. And immediately, he runs and he tells, he tells, he tells a story. He's excited. He heard from God in a dream. He's got these two cool dreams and he runs and tells people. So let me just stop for a second and ask you guys, individually or corporately, and you don't have to raise your hand for this, but how many of you guys individually or corporately for the group with which you worship have things, words, promises from God that you believe are specific for you? So this is something that I believe is paramount to our walking out this life with God is that we we find out where it is he's taking us, what his plan is for us, so that we're not just making decisions based on what we see in front of us today and then hoping he comes along and blesses it later. It's kind of a, that's kind of an inverted way of walking with God. Essentially, I'm the deity in that scenario, and I'm going along, God, I'm going to do this, and I hope you come along for the ride. God, this feels right. This sounds nice. And we're not looking necessarily at what he's said and where he's leading when we make our decisions. We're just kind of going with what feels right in that moment. A better decision-making path is drawing near to God so you can hear his heart, his vision for your life. So when it comes time to make decisions, you can weigh them against what you know he's spoken to you. All of that said... Sometimes you don't get to control the path that you take, and that's what's laid out for us in Joseph's scenario. So Joseph, he's got these two dreams that he's going to be kind of the man. He's going to be in charge. He's going to be in power. His you know brothers and sisters are going to be, or his brothers are going to be bowing to him. The sun, moon, and stars—they're all coming to bow. Mom and dad bowing, and so he's got this really great-sounding future. 
his decisions had nothing to do with his strategic direction, right? He didn't go, hey, if I get myself thrown into a pit, I think I can get there. Or if I go to college and I do really well, I think I can get there. Often God takes control of our situation when he's spoken to us. And he forces us into circumstances we would not have planned for ourselves. Psalm 105 talks about Joseph, and it says that the word of the Lord tested him until it came to pass. So what this whole story is actually about is not so much Joseph becoming famous and important and powerful. The story is actually about God giving a man a word that he has to then be faithful to hold fast to, to believe, no matter the circumstance that God leads him through. The word of the Lord tested him until it came to pass. Okay, I'm going to back up for just a second. So if you have a word from the Lord, you personally, some of you guys raised your hands. Have you, have you talked about it? Have you told anyone about it? Good. Because I think that the declaration or the expression of these promises and of these words actually builds faith in, in you. In you. So the word testing you means that it's going to try you. It's going to force you to prove out that you hold this thing to be real, to be true. So this goes for us both personally and for us corporately. So I'm going to ask another question. You might have things personally that you've shared. There's also things corporately. Have you shared? Are we talking about those? Are you telling people that don't know? There's a lot of you guys that are relatively new to this church. How many of you guys know the prophetic history or the prophetic calling that's on this church that's still not yet fulfilled? Probably not a lot. Those of you who've been around a long time, we have an obligation to share what God said he's going to do in a place that's not yet come to pass. There's been a crazy, there was a crazy 10-year period of things that God was speaking into this church community about what his plans were for this place. It's paramount that we as a group share those as new people come into the midst so that they know what to expect, what to pray for, and what to walk toward. So talk about it. So, 2006, um, these two ladies came, young ladies, and uh, in their early 60s, and uh, they came, they'd, they'd been here like 20-some years prior, and not had a great visit, uh, just based on what the church was going through and involved in. It was a pretty, pretty stuffy atmosphere, their first visit. So they came back in 2006, and they knew, no, they knew none of us. Um, I think they'd met Nancy uh, and Jan at a, and Pat at a meeting. So there was like one little connection. And so, but over the course of this weekend that they're here, they, they probably, I don't know, prophesied over 200 plus people. It was crazy. And do you remember this? Yeah, you can see from your face, you remember it too. Uh, so these guys came and they're like, they're praying and declaring stuff that was crazy. You guys remember this visit? No? Really? You were here. 
because I was standing behind you guys when you got prayed for, and they prayed something over you that no one knew and no one could know. And I remember when that happened, I was like, oh, this is really, really real. Because uh, of some of their work that they're involved in, these ladies started declaring this openly and prophetically for a lot of people to hear, and it was something that wasn't supposed to be heard or known by anyone. And, uh, but they went, and they probably prayed over a couple hundred people. And, um, but like the big, like the, the big one that kind of shook everyone up was toward the end, they had Pastor Tuttle and Shar come up, sat him, you know, about, right about in here, started praying for him. And um, she starts to describe, I see this black land that's the UP. And I see a fire, there's going to be a fire that starts in Marquette. And then little fires. So then there'll be these little fires that pop up in all these other towns, and they flow down, downstate to Wisconsin. And every, anyone who knows anything about the UP knows that nothing good ever comes from Nazareth. I mean the UP. And um, so they, they go on to describe this, and it's, it's really powerful, you know, and you're like, yeah, okay. You know, it sounds, it sounds exciting, right? You know, and everybody loves those kind of words, right? Yeah, revival's going to come to your town. Well, unbeknownst to them that when the Tuttles actually came here, 2003, they were completely opposed to coming up here. Had no interest in the UP. Heather can testify to that. And um, Pastor Tuttle had done a candidate uh, for a youth pastorate in this church and gotten shot down in the early 80s. Had no interest in ever going back to Marquette. And through this crazy you know, confluence of events, he ends up doing something he never does, which is going out into a field and sticking his finger into a Bible Okay, God, if you want me up there, give me a verse. And he gets a verse about a land lacking lacking in nothing out of Deuteronomy. And then that Sunday in church, while he's preparing to preach, he said is one of, I think, two times that ever happened in his entire life. He has a vision of a black upper peninsula. Fire starts in Marquette. Boom, 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 boom. Starts flowing throughout the, the UP. This happened in 2002. So then four years later, these... Young ladies are describing this again in detail. And if you know Pastor Tuttle very well, you know that he's not a very emotional person, at least expressed, you know, he doesn't stand up here and sob like I am. And um, he got up there and he just was snorting all over. And he was a, you know, he's describing this. And you could, you could feel it in the room that these ladies had described exactly what he had seen four years before about fire coming to Marquette. So that was the first um, event. About a year and a half later, this fellow from Kansas City came up, um, shares about expand the tent pegs. You're not going to have enough room. It's, it's going to go like this. Um, his, his prior visit was in October 2005, and had, he had rebuked the church Five straight sermons. He preached out of Jonah for five straight sermons. It was repent, repent, don't be offended, repent, don't be offended. It was a fun weekend. We spent a lot of time up there repenting. And uh, so when he comes back a year and a half later, 2007, he's saying things have changed radically. This is a greenhouse-type church. Things are going to blow up. You're going to have to figure out how to grow multiplication style like they did in the book of Acts. 
And, you know, if you're in church, everyone goes, ooh, numbers. But here it was like, ooh, souls, people being swept into the kingdom. So that, that kind of thing continued for probably the next three or four years. I think 11 or 12 was when that prophetic season kind of wound down. And through that time, we were seeing crazy stuff happen here. I mean, we, we, people were being physically healed regularly. There was like lifelong uh, sin, addiction type things being completely broken off of people. I mean, it was a, it was a wild season. But it wasn't the fulfillment of these prophetic words. There was no multiplication. Um, it was like a foretaste of what was yet to come. Uh, so I'm, I'm sharing some of this. Like I, I could literally do probably four weeks of just, you know, prophetic history is what I call it. But it's things that have been spoken about this place that have yet to come. And the, it's... Story upon story upon story upon story from different people in this group. You'd go to a conference 2,000 miles away and someone would prophesy about what was going to happen back in your hometown. Um, just crazy stuff. But it, it, all the messaging was saying the same thing. And it hasn't happened. It is yet to happen. So I regularly go back to Joseph because when you look at this and you go, hey, I'd like to be a part of something like that. That sounds pretty cool. I mean, like, since day one, you want to be a part of what God's doing in the earth and how he's growing his church and how he's bringing souls into his kingdom forever and ever. I mean, that's what, like, that's what should get us up in the morning. If we're just getting up Sunday morning to go and, like, check our box, we need to ask God, like, get my heart right, okay, because there's more going on than... Sunday morning service. There's more going on than Wednesday night. He's jealous for people to know him. Um, so I want to I be a part of something like that. And if it's going to happen in our town, well, that's cool too. I mean, yeah, if it happens in their town, I'll go visit. But if it starts in our town, yeah, you know, we're better than you. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. So, but I go back to Joseph's life regularly because when it doesn't happen... You start to look around and go, was it all just malarkey? You know, was, was, were all 47 of those stories that, that I experienced and 32 that you guys experienced and 117 that you guys experienced, were they all just malarkey? That they were saying the same thing and it seemed God was saying the same thing. Was it all just baloney? Or is there a process to the promise? Is there a process to the promise? Is there a purpose to the promise? Because we, we, we went through this season, 06 to like 011. I guess it's not an O anymore when it's an 11, but 06 to 11. And there was wild stuff going on. I mean, we were having four and a half hour services. People didn't want to leave. Um, I mean, it was nutty. Just some crazy, crazy stuff. Stories that you guys would be like, well, that's a little bit weird. Um, but... It wasn't the end. So you have this amazing, what you call a flow, right? As things are going like this, and you're like, yeah, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. And then there's the other side, where things kind of go, oh. and we're all like, hey, it's, 
June and it's nice and it's summer and like I gotta go to church and listen to this clown, um, we, right? We we start to feel like we're having kids and you're just trying to survive, and right, like life is happening and you're wondering like God, are you still in this with us? Because the flow, we know you're there, buddy. But when it's the other way, it doesn't feel so much like this is still going to come. So there's, we all know the story of Joseph, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on the details. You can thank me later uh, when you're having lunch before the rest of the rush from the Baptist church because they go long. I'm just kidding. It's a joke again, right? Um, we all know they're done in an hour and we're still here three hours later. It's okay. So... I'm just joking. I love Baptists. They're my friends. So I'm, it's a joke. Mark, forgive me. Okay. Uh, so Joseph, here's how I see it. There's, there's some key purposes or um, there's uh, the process of the promise. So it's establishing a word within someone. God speaks and it creates. So today we do this exercise and even though it came through a person, we believe that when God speaks through a person, he's still creating. He's still creating a, a new reality in you. So you get a prophetic word from someone, and if it's God, it's creating something in you that wasn't there before. So that's the first purpose of the promise. He's creating something new in you that wasn't there before. I, for me personally, if, if I have the opportunity to have prophetic ministry, I, I crave it. I crave it because the, the next piece is that God doesn't give you the whole picture the first day because he knows the way we are. He knows that if I have the whole picture, I'm going to start plotting my course because I'm, I'm a strategic person, so I'm going to start figuring it out. I don't really need you as much now, God, now that I know where I'm going. So if you could just hang out in the back seat, I'll take the steering wheel, and I'll start navigating a path. And that's why he only gives me one little piece at a time. It's because he doesn't want my confidence to be based on knowing the picture or the promise. He doesn't want my confidence to be built on knowing the promise. He wants my confidence to be built on the promise giver. That's him, right? That's a nice poetic-sounding way to say he wants me to have to come back to him over and over and over to know what's next. We get these prophetic words from the Lord, and I've been, I've been walking closely with God for almost 20 years. I grew up in church, a very boring church experience. My first few years, the Holy Spirit didn't exist in that setting. He was there, I'm just kidding again, but... Uh, they didn't think much of him or give him much heed. And so my young life church growth, even though we were there every week, was fairly boring. Um, my mom, other than my mom playing the piano and the amazing organist uh, that would entertain everyone for hours. But it was kind of boring. And then the last 20 years-ish, I've gotten to see and been privileged to participate in a lot of prophetic ministry. So I've gotten to see a lot of God's words actually come to pass. Dozens in my own life, just in the last 20 years, where he would say something and then it would happen. I had a dream of my oldest daughter uh, two years 
before she was born. I got her name in the dream. I actually saw her with red hair. But the route he took me and us to get there was nothing like I would have expected or planned or otherwise. I'd have gotten in my own way if I knew enough of the picture. So he withholds it from us so that we have to depend on him. So that all we know is I know that some point this is going to happen. I just don't know how you're going to get there. So here I am again today. I'm depending on you. And the last piece of the, the, the um, not the last piece, the third piece is obedience. A lot of these promises, there is actually, there's a conditionality to it. We can't just go do our own thing all the time and have this, all of this stuff come to pass. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect. It just means we have to repent when we're not. It doesn't mean that every decision is going to be the right one. It just means that when we make the wrong one, we have to acknowledge it, come back, and get on the path again and start moving in the right direction. See, one of the things he's trying to develop in us, along with dependence on him, is obedience. He wants us to become people who obey his commands. This isn't a legalist type of obedience that says, oh my goodness, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. This is the kind of obedience that says, hey, see that lady over there with the glasses? I know. Go tell her that I love her. What? You nuts? I don't know her. Look at her. Look at the way she's looking. Like she's like, See, she knows. But she knows he loves her, right? I don't need to go tell her. She already knows. Okay, I'm off the hook on this one. No, I want to be able to trust you when I ask of you anything. It's not just the do not do's, it's the do do's. <laughs> Those for all the kids. <laughs> Pastor, if you're watching, take a note. This is a kid joke. He's the master of the pastor jokes, so I'll be the master of the kid jokes. That's for you, buddy. Um, he wants us to become people who are radical in obedience. Radical. I have a funny story. I remember I was driving down the road. Remember the family video used to be? Now it's just an empty building. I was driving down the road over there, and I see these two girls walking. I don't know. They're like 20s. And I, I get this, pull up to them and ask them if her name. I think it was Sarah. So I pull up next to them, and I'm like, this is, I look like a creeper. You know, all the things going through your head. And I roll up, and I roll down the window, and they're like, can we help you? You know, and I look over, and I'm like, hey, is your name Sarah? No. And I was like, okay, all right. And I drove off. And as I'm driving away, I hear the Lord go, thank you. That was it. I still don't know if they lied to me, if it wasn't their name. But he just wanted to know if I'd do it. He just wanted to know if I'd do it. And I'm dumb, so I'll do that stuff. And, but he wants us to become a people that will obey whatever he commands. So the reason he wants us to become obedient those that obey anything he says, is in, it's really simple. It's in John 15, where he's just talking to his closest companions, and he says, I, I don't call you servants anymore. Now I call you friends. My friends, you'll remain if you obey my commands. Do what I ask you to do. See, he's not looking for us to obey because he needs more servants. 
He's got enough. And he's got legions of angels who would do anything he asks at a moment's notice. But we need to develop obedience on a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour basis because he's looking for friends. See, at the heart of all this thing with God giving us promises is that he's looking for us to become his friends. Jesus, in this same passage in John 15, he says, you know, you're not just servants anymore. I call you friends because you know my business. Now you know what I'm doing and why. See, he's looking for people he can share his heart with, his plans with. He's looking for friends. Jesus, who needs nothing, he needs nothing. He doesn't need any of us. He's looking for us to become his friends. People he can trust himself with, that he can trust his kingdom with, that he can trust the fulfillment of his promises with. See, when you look at Joseph's life, we all look at it like, oh, the hard times and oh, the good times. But I look at it a little different. I think Joseph wasn't so hungry just to be the guy in power. I think as this thing evolved, he became the guy who was hungry solely to spend time with his father in his presence. Becoming obedient, even unto death. Becoming trustworthy, even in the worst circumstances. Becoming faithful and becoming a friend of God. So that when God exalted him to this position of leadership, he could be found faithful to execute whatever it was that was required. If you look at what Joseph ended up having to do after these promises were fulfilled, it was pretty brutal. If one of us was in power and was doing the stuff that Joseph's doing, we would have some, they would be called some really nasty names on Fox and CNN. That's the case anyway, but, you know, just for everyone's. But the other thing that's important to know, he was 30 years old when he went into the service of Pharaoh. So we go, oh, okay, 30 years old, 17, 13 years, I can survive that. But the next seven years that he was in Pharaoh's charge, it still hadn't come to pass. Because the promise wasn't just about working for Pharaoh. The promise was his parents and his family coming and bowing down in front of him. That didn't happen at 30 years old. He had to go through seven years of plenty first, make a plan for how he was going to deal with the seven years of famine. And then there were probably two to three years into the famine when his family finally came. So this guy had waited about 23 years for this thing to come to pass. It's kind of like, I feel like a shame on me thing when I get a word and I'm like, boy, Lord, it's been six months. Where are you? He's 23 years waiting, 23 years of high, 23 years of prison, 23 years of being forgotten in jail by the guy you just prophesied would get out of jail. How miserable is that? Hey, buddy, I'm going to give you a word. It means you're going to get free. Don't forget me. What happens in the process of a promise is that as we become friends of God, we still long for, more strongly believe in the promise. But our hope and our confidence is not that the promise would come to pass because our certainty and our surety in life is that the promise giver is with us in and out of every season. That's what we're to be developing when we have a word from the Lord, whether it's personal or it's corporate, is are we a people 
who are becoming faithful to walk with God in and out of every season as he prepares everything around us for the fulfillment of the promise because he's also preparing us to be able to steward the promise when it's given. So this is kind of like a far-out message for some of you guys, and for others, especially those of you guys that have been here for a while and you know some of this history, I want it to be an encouragement to those of you who have been around a while. God's not forgotten this church. He hasn't forgotten what he said he would do. Jan's not going to miss the party. That was 2006. And for those of you guys who are new to this, I hope that you hear and you go, wow, there's something else going on than a two-thirds empty church on a Sunday morning in June. That it's not the group of people that this thing is dependent on. So the last thing I want to mention about this promise thing is with respect to uh, people. So Joseph shared his dream dreams with those that were closest to him. So he went to his parents, he went to his family, and it doesn't look like they had the healthiest home life, just through observations later in scripture with, you know, different family members. Um, however, he goes to those closest to him that he should have been able to trust with this, and his brothers use it to betray him, right? I mean, it, it provokes anger, jealousy in them. And the, the last thing we have to bear in mind is that our promises are not people-dependent. It's not, if you have a prophetic word about something great happening, leading worship in front of a stadium of people or whatever it is, it's not dependent on people recognizing your gift. It's not dependent on people going, oh yeah, you're really talented or you're really anointed. We should invite you to the next conference. It's never dependent on people recognizing something in you. It's solely dependent on God and his ability to fulfill what he said he would do. How he gets you there is completely his, it's up to him, it's his choice. He can do whatever he wants. And what we see in Joseph's life were the very people who could have and should have equipped him and prepared him for this amazing calling and celebrated it in him, betrayed him, and traded him, sold him into slavery. Your promises are not people-dependent. They're not. God might use people to get you to a certain place but they're not dependent on those persons to make it happen. And that's important to remember because you will share something that you feel like God's spoken to you, and some people will celebrate and others might mock. Some people might help you prepare, and others might impede you, or much worse, betray you like you saw here. What's important to remember is that no matter your circumstance, God knows what he's doing, and he's capable powerful enough to fulfill his word to you in spite of what anyone else might do against you or trying to stop you from getting there. 
And that's really important to remember because uh, a word from God about a church being involved in the beginning of some fire coming to the UP isn't dependent on making sure everyone shows up to every service every week. It's not. It's not ultimately dependent on us. It's ultimately dependent on him fulfilling his word to us. And he really only needs one to remain faithful, to believe the word, to hold true to the word, and to walk in faithfulness so that they're there the moment he fulfills that word. So, Father, we, just, we thank you that you still speak to us today. You didn't stop speaking when the Bible was written. You didn't stop giving dreams in the New Testament when it was written. That you're still speaking. You're still looking for friends the same way you were looking for friends with Peter and Paul and James and John and Joseph. You're still inviting all of us to come in to friendship with you. And you're still sharing your heart for us with us. So I just ask for those that have never had a season of prophetic vision from you that you'd release to them not only prophetic words but also dreams. I just ask that dreams would, you'd give dreams to folks that they'd start to have a season of dreams where they're hearing from you on the regular this way. Father, for those who have have heard from you often and are maybe feeling discouraged that it hasn't happened yet, wondering, am I going to be around when it does, that you'd encourage them, that you'd speak to them of their faithfulness and of their friendship with you, that that might become their priority, even more than seeing a promise fulfilled. But like Anna, Father, that they would get to see the promise fulfilled before you welcome them home. God, we thank you for your kindness to us and just all that you've drawn us into here in the place that everyone overlooks. Help us to remain steadfast as a church, moving toward what you've said you're going to do. Bring back to mind the words that you've given so that we might hold them with a, with a greater excitement and again return to you with a greater zeal, knowing that you always do what you said you would do. We love you, Father. We thank you. Amen. So I'm, I'm going to pray again, and, uh, and Keith's going to turn on some, some jams afterward. What I'd ask is, if you would like uh, to have prophetic prayer, if you've not ever had that opportunity, and you would like to, come here, and I'm going to grab some of you guys, if you don't mind, surprise, um, Pat and Nancy and you guys, are, and just... If you've never had that opportunity to have someone pray prophetically over you, it's an, it's an incredible opportunity. And if you'd like that opportunity, let me know and we'll steer you with one of these folks that have been doing it, some of them for 30 plus years.
if you already know and you have some prophetic history with God where you've heard some things and you're waiting for those things to happen and you just need to be encouraged, we're just going to, you know, just let someone know that's near you, that they could pray for you that way. I think some of you guys have these things that are like in here just ready to explode. Um, you want to see them fulfilled. And I just want to pray for you guys and have you guys prayed for that you can stay steadfast as God leads you forward and, and that he brings it about in his time and that you don't feel the need to try to force it and fulfill it in your own time. And I want you guys all to be just aware of what some of this church's calling and future is with God so that you can begin praying into that along with those who have been praying for it, some of them for over 40 years. <clears throat> 